All right, we have been hearing and reading uh, that President Biden, no less a figure than he, has said that Vladimir Putin is now guilty of war crimes with the latest news of this uh, village where mass graves have been discovered. A lot of other people have jumped on that bandwagon, have basically said that this is paramount to genocide. What does it mean, though, to commit a war crime? What, what does that constitute and what consequences are there? Marty Flax joins us, a chair of the Human Rights Initiative at CSIS, a former NSC director and a lawyer as well as a policy expert, to talk about this. Marty, we appreciate some time with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. First, define for our audience, what is a war crime? Sure. So it's kind of international legal order and what's allowed and what's not allowed. It's helpful to put a little bit of context in place around where these rules came from. So after World War II, states drew on their experiences, uh, both in the context of the Holocaust and the, the genocide, but also in terms of how the actual war was conducted and the atrocities that were committed uh, in, in the terms of that conflict. And they put in place international rules about war, what is acceptable to do in war and what isn't, which sounds very strange, but is sort of a fundamental part of our international legal order. And they put in place the Geneva Conventions, which define what kind of conduct is acceptable in the context of war. And they laid out what's not acceptable, things like intentionally attacking civilians, things like destruction of civilian property, um, looting of possessions. And those things are considered war crimes. So severe, gross violations of those Geneva right. Conventions, which every country in the world has signed on to, including Russia, including China, and everyone else, um, those are considered war crimes. Okay, so thank you for that. It's a very clear definition. So that having committed a war crime, what does that subject you to? So the first thing that's important to remember is that individuals are guilty of war crimes. It's not a charge you bring against a country or even a military unit. It's an individual responsibility. So in our international system, if an individual is accused of a war crime, he or she can be prosecuted at an international tribunal. We have set up over the years various international tribunals, starting back at Nuremberg, um, and then we had international tribunals for Rwanda, for the former Yugoslavia, and then back in the 1998, we created the International Criminal Court, and we gave it the responsibility to prosecute the most serious war crimes. Uh, including contexts like Ukraine. So individuals can be charged by the International Criminal Court for their conduct uh, in conflicts like this, charged with war crimes, and actually prosecuted and sent to, to prison. There's other options as well. So war crimes can be prosecuted in domestic courts. Ukraine could prosecute any Russians that it might capture and, and accuse of war crimes uh, and put them in jail in, in domestically in that country. Other countries, including in Europe, have what they call universal jurisdiction statutes, which allow them to prosecute war crimes committed in other countries. So Germany, for example, has opened an investigation into the situation in Ukraine and could, in fact, prosecute people for that conduct as well. Okay, so now the big question, of course, comes is what kind of teeth is there to this? Could uh, an international authority, believing that a despot, let's say Vladimir Putin, uh, committed war crimes, would they have the authority to somehow try to go in with force to arrest him? Or do they just have to wait until the war is won or lost, and if, if, if it's lost by the bad guys, then they, they bring them in because they've surrendered, and then they try them? 
Yes, in practice, that's most likely the way we're going to see international justice in this case. Um, what's the most likely scenario to put Vladimir Putin or any senior Russian official into custody is for uh, one of them to travel to a country that is willing to arrest them. There's 123 countries that are members of the International Criminal Court that have said, if someone wanted by the court comes into my country, I will arrest them and turn them over. Um, so they ha would have to travel to one of those countries, or there would have to be a change in administration and government in Russia towards a government that was more likely to cooperate. We've seen that happen in other countries. We saw, for example, uh, in Sudan, Omar al-Bashir wanted for the genocide in Darfur. Uh, for many, many years, the government of Sudan resisted turning him over to the ICC. There's now been a change in government, and they've been in negotiations to potentially turn him over. Um, we certainly saw the, the case of Slobodan Milosevic in the conflict in the former Yugoslavia um, was taken out of power. He did end up at an international tribunal as well. So it's happened before to other heads of state, um, but it would certainly require uh, a change of circumstances in Russia to be able to get someone like Putin on the dock. Uh, right. Ms. Flax, is it harder to prove it by Putin? I was reading the story. They said you probably could get the generals under him and that'd be an easier way to charge. But to actually get it to Putin, it has to go up so many chains and ladders to it. Is that is it a hard process to get the guy on top? It definitely is harder. I mean, we do have an in international law, just like in domestic law, the idea of command responsibility. So if you give an order to commit a war crime, you're just as responsible for that war crime as the person carrying it out. So legally, they could certainly prosecute uh, Putin if you could if you could show he put in place a policy of this type of approach of committing war crimes or if he gave those orders directly. Um, but certainly, practically speaking, you know, the prosecutor has to lay out evidence that points to that particular individual. And so the closer you get to the commission of the crime, the easier it's probably going to be to get that to collect that evidence and show that that person was personally responsible for a particular crime. It's also potentially more likely to get that to get custody of that person. For example, if Ukraine was able to capture a senior Russian military official on the ground in the in the context of this conflict and then prosecute that individual for his individual conduct. Ms. Flax, in this day and age of electronics, just a hypothetical here, let's say, of course, uh, Putin would not want to go and face trial. Is there is it feasible at all to maybe try somebody on a on a Zoom uh, call and uh, and take it from there? Or is that just uh, would that never be the case? I'm just curious. So it's a great question, because we've certainly seen lots of courts, you know, use Zoom, you know, electronic systems for prosecutions. Um, in the context of the pandemic, for example, when it wasn't safe to gather in court. But um, under internet, both international criminal law and really almost everyone's domestic criminal law, um, you have to have custody of the defendant in your jurisdiction. So you'd have to have some kind of control over that person. We don't try people what they call in absentia, right, if they're not actually present um, in that country or that court's jurisdiction. So as of now, that wouldn't be possible, um, but certainly down the line, that could be something uh, people could explore. Interesting stuff. Marty Flax, thanks for uh, spending a little time with us. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Chair of the Human Rights Initiative with CSIS. Uh, again, the trick is getting him to stand right. trial. Right. I don't think the problem is making a case against Vladimir Putin. I think the problem is getting to Vladimir Putin, and who knows how this is going to wrap up.